0: You can't explore preventative care and prevent yourself from even dipping into diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol because you don't even trust the system that was never even designed for you to be healthy. Welcome to the heart of the matter in black and white with Becky Holloway and Essence Rebels. Today we will be exploring the topic of race and medicine and share our experiences of healthcare care inequities. Today, Becky, you and I wanted to talk about the role that race plays in medicine in our country. And I know that when we talked about wanting to have this conversation and share it with our listeners, you said that prior to us having this conversation, you did not realize how bad the healthcare disparities and health disparities in general are in our country. So you said that you have researched a lot of this information and please share with us some of the things that you have learned.
1: So I had a general sense that the African American community um, has higher rates of diabetes and Um, cardiovascular issues, um, high blood pressure, things like that. I I did work in healthcare for a couple of years on the administrative side, so I was exposed to some statistics around that. But as I dove into this topic in order to facilitate an informed discussion, I had no idea the depth of the disparity. I didn't realize until I think it was in June when I was working on a blog post for my company um, as, a, as a, fo- you know, a, a, a post to stand in solidarity with the African American community following the murder of George Floyd. I started diving into some of the, the systemic racism that we see in different areas and one was healthcare and I, I came across this statistic around um, maternal morbidity and mortality And, you know, black women are something like three to four times more likely to die from complications in childbirth than their white counterparts. I had no idea it was that high. So I was really, um, like, appalled and then wanted to know more. Um, And the more I dug in and the more I found, you know, in terms of things like You know, cancer treatments. Um, You know, Black women are less likely to receive mastectomies when needed, and to receive follow-up radiation after a mastectomy. Um, Black patients are less likely to have their pain treated adequately. So I was just diving into all of this and really shocked and kind of a little embarrassed. I think because I would have considered myself a fairly politically savvy person. I read the news every day, I keep up on what's going on in politics, you know, I I consider myself a relatively well-educated person and yet I had no idea. So if that's true of me, I can only imagine that is also true of many other white people like me. And so I was kind of confronted by the idea that the not knowing perpetuates the system. I'm sure there are those who obviously do know But if the general population has no awareness of the depth of this problem, then where are the cries for change and and digging into the why of it and what needs to happen in order to correct this issue. Now, as we
0: transition into understanding the why behind everything that you just presented, um, because many of the things that you have presented I live them, so I know them. I've experienced it. I've watched my family members experience it. And I know one thing we wanted to, to dig into is that implicit bias that plays a deep role in the disparities, in the care that Black people receive versus white people. And as we talk about some of that and I'll I'll dig I'll dig into some of my experiences here the simple fact that when a black doctor enters the room and my friends and colleagues have shared with me that many times they have been mistaken as the help as the custodian as the person that is coming in to clean the room the lab technician, the nurse, and having to affirm themselves as, no, I'm your doctor. Others have shared with me, once they have said, I'm your doctor, they have had white patients say, no, you're not. I I want a new doctor. I want a white doctor. So there are things like that that just continue to further this deep rooted problem when it comes to the care that African-Americans are receiving in this country. If we can't even be comfortable with the fact that we have black doctors and acknowledge the fact that when a a black person enters the room, the, the assumption is not that they are not the highest level of professional in that room at that moment. So so that's one one experience that I have uh, witnessed and heard firsthand from, from friends. And then if we go back to your point about pain tolerance, and I know that there are studies that have shown that white physicians or it could be other physicians as well have admittedly said that they interpret pain levels differently amongst black patients and white patients feeling that black patients can deal with more pain so i don't have to treat them in the same way if i have a black mother telling me that she is in labor and that her child is coming one i don't even think that she knows she has the knowledge base to to discern that she's in labor and two she can handle the pain much more than my white patient over here. So I don't have to give her as much attention. So there are studies that have shown that that has been the thought process behind the people that are supposed to be caring for our lives. And I go back to that because that all, all of those things that I just said, are just the, that's just the beginning of why there's a discomfort in being treated by a white physician as a black patient versus being treated by a black physician as a black patient and that distrust goes deep it is the reason that black people don't even want to go to the doctors so not going to the doctors you can't prevent any uh, bad things from happening you can't you can't explore preventative care and prevent yourself from even dipping into diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol, because you're, you're, you don't even trust the system that was never even designed for you to be healthy. So,
1: Right. So let's talk about that issue of trust. So <clears throat> this is something that, you know, I think is critical between a physician and a patient. When you're talking about your body and, and whatever, you know, discomfort or pain or struggle you're having, it's very vulnerable. It's very personal. You are probably at your most vulnerable, vulnerable when you're talking to a doctor. And if you don't have that trust, you're less likely to share what's going on. And probably also the way you share, like maybe the physician isn't going to necessarily understand or connect with it. So, you know, there's a, there's a history in this country of mistreating black patients for medical purposes and studies. So I think of like the, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment that went on for like 40 years, right? Where a group of black men had syphilis treatment, penicillin, withheld from them. A, they weren't even told they had syphilis. B, they had treatment withheld in order to study you know what happened? What was the progression of the disease when untreated? That then caused wives and girlfriends and partners to contract the disease, and children to to contract congenital syphilis who were born of those relationships. So I mean, the tentacles of this just go on and on. And then you you know you think of like um, the the case of Henrietta Lacks with her you know the HeLa cells, which have been Instrumental in medicine and um, you know finding cures for things like you know the polio vaccine, Jonah Salk. But her cells were taken from her body and used without any informed consent. She never signed a release saying yes, you can use my immortal cells in perpetuity. Like no one knew about it until relatively recently. Um, and our our Supreme Court confirmed that it's okay to take cells from once it's waste. It's deemed waste it can be used by medicine for commercial purposes without remunerating the person those cells came from. So, I mean, we, we still live with the legacy of some of this today.
0: Absolutely. And I'd be remiss if I didn't add an additional horrific part of our healthcare system. And that being around who has been formerly known as the father of gynecology j marion sims who experimented on enslaved women to be coined to coin some of his quote-unquote greatest inventions of the speculum and different things like that he and he experimented on these women with no pain medications so this think about how can we trust a system that has done these things to our ancestors to, and, and some of this, Tuskegee is not as far, it's not as far back. No, it's so, not. so these things, how can you be comfortable with trusting a system that has done such destruction to your community? So I also wanna uh, transition this into, I hear everything that you are um, spitting off, all these different facts that you've learned, Becky. And I wanna challenge you and ask you, what do you now plan to do with this knowledge that you have?
1: So (laughs) that's a really interesting question. Um, I wanna share one of my best physician experiences Um, and uh, I I know I've shared this with you before. Um, She was a black physician. Um, I don't see her anymore because of my insurance. She doesn't take my insurance right now, but that was like a bad breakup because when I found out I couldn't go to her anymore, I was devastated. Um, The best doctor I've ever had, hands down. And I think, so one of the things I I've been thinking about is, you know, really supporting um, organizations that promote diversity in medicine. Because I think one of the biggest issues that we see, there's many, but one of them is the fact that the percentage of African-Americans who pursue a career in medicine, specifically a doctor, has remained consistent from like the 70s. It hasn't changed. It has slightly increased among Black women but it has remained completely steady among black men. And so I think supporting organizations that promote diversity and, um, you know, recruiting people of color into medical programs, there are a lot of barriers there. Um, Cost is one of them, right? So if you are, if in general, the, the population you're going after is in a lower income bracket, then the astronomical rates that go with medical school are going to be an, a barrier to entry for many talented candidates. So I, I, think, I think getting involved with organizations like that. Um, so I was, you know, in my, in my research, I found a couple of them that looked really fascinating. Um, one is called Tor for Diversity in Medicine. Um, and they work to increase that pipeline of medical professionals of color. They recruit at high schools and you know, other organizations to, to bring more students of color into medical school. Um, so I want to learn more about that organization and, and get involved and be supportive there. Another one that I think is really fascinating um, is it's actually an app. So for any of our listeners who are interested, it's called H-U-E-D. And the website is H-U-E-D-Co.com. And it's an app that connects patients with health and medical professionals of color. So there aren't a ton of them, but the knowing that you're more likely to get a better healthcare outcome if you see a physician whose skin color matches yours, this is a resource to connect you with those types of physicians. You, you mentioned... Um, You know, the father of gynecology, the so called father of gynecology. And the woman who actually founded this company, um, she was having fibroids. And all of the white physicians she was seeing in Manhattan were telling her, you have to have a hysterectomy. And she was young and she wanted kids. And so she ended up going down to Baltimore, found a, a, a black female physician down there who said, listen, I can do this other type of procedure. That will clear out most of these fibroids and will um retain your fertility and so she said it shouldn't you know (laughs) new york city right you think you have access to some of the best medicine in the country and yet it took her this like long journey to find someone who looked like her and listened to her and understood that maintaining her fertility really mattered to find alternatives she said why were these white male physicians not giving me this option so i think we need to support organizations that promote diversity and people of color within the medical profession.
0: Absolutely that is that is a start that is a start.
1: So I'm um, I'm really curious you know you've you've mentioned some of the things that you've seen firsthand with your friends and family. You are a well-educated woman. You occupy a certain socioeconomic strata, right? Where you're, you know, you're doing well. How, how has your personal experience of medicine been as a patient? Because I know it doesn't, what I'm seeing is it doesn't actually matter how, how, you know, how wealthy you are, how well educated, it doesn't matter. Race seems to be this, you know, the control factor across every category that you can think of demographically that determines health outcomes? What has that been like for you personally?
0: So I have been very blessed in my healthcare journey and my healthcare experiences because of the healthcare professionals that I have surrounded myself with, I have only surrounded myself with primary care providers that I 100%, as I like to say, trust with my life. Mm -hmm. And if I was ever in a situation where I did not, then I got a new primary care provider. I have, because I, I have literally my mentors, are a part of my, they are my healthcare providers. So, and I make sure that they also treat my family. So my whole family goes to this one practice where we absolutely trust the providers. We can tell them anything about how we're feeling. So I have not really firsthand maybe experienced the disparity as a patient myself or as my, immediate family, but I have experienced the the distrust of medical professionals secondhand. So I've had my uh, grandmother and my father share with me that they were not comfortable sharing their health information with some of their doctors or they would say so they would either say it explicitly to me before we moved on or or tried to figure out what was going on with their with their health or when I would be in the room with them, they would automatically look to me to answer those questions because they know that their physician would see me as having having that medical background and that medical education and feeling like. I think Essence can express this better, or just not even be, just already feeling defeated before you open your mouth because of things that they have witnessed in their experiences. So I have been um, lucky enough to be able to advocate for my family in the healthcare system, but I have experiences where my friends and family have not, where they constantly come to me and I have to remind them, you know, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not a doctor. (laughs) they, They see me as this quote unquote medical whisperer. And I, I like that. (laughs) I just just go head on. I go head on with the system. If I feel that my family and friends are not getting the care that they deserve, I just continue to ask question after question until I get answers. And I always, always um, demand to know what the what the treatment plan is. Don't just tell me and, and give me the explanation behind it. If I don't understand the science that you're saying, and I, I usually can, I can keep up with it for the most part because of my educational background. But if I don't understand it, I, I will look it up or I will ask someone else that I trust. So I, I think I've been pretty blessed in, in that realm, Becky, but mm-hmm. I am one of the few, sadly.
1: So you're kind of, you sit in this role as almost like a translator. I like that medical whisperer where you kind of can speak both languages. And I relate that, you know, I, you know, I often come back to the issue of how women are, are marginalized. I relate it to my experience with seeing the GYN. And I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm like, I, I don't want to see a male GYN. I, I'm over that, right? And that's a very personal choice. But I, I just feel like women physicians get it more than male physicians. And I've seen some great male physicians, but I, I get that you want to have that kind of that trust and bond and communication with someone who has stood in your shoes before.
0: And don't you deserve that?
1: You do. Your life is
0: in their hands. You deserve to be able to trust the person who literally has your life in their hands.
1: Yeah. And I think that one of the problems in American healthcare is we don't treat it as though you, the patient, are the consumer. Like, you're kind of the boss. You get to say, I don't like you, Dr. So-and-so. I don't like the way you treat me. I'm firing you and I'm going over here. Or, hey, Dr. So-and-so, you need to... I don't get what you just said. Bring it down a, a notch. <laughs> you know, speak English. <laughs> speak it plainly. I don't have a degree, you know, a medical degree like you do. We need... Uh, you know, I think we are kind of... Socialized to believe that, oh, well, they're the experts and we just need to nod and smile and, and go along. And unfortunately, that means that w- the product you experience may not actually be to your benefit. Okay. So what about when you don't have
0: many options because of your health insurance and the limiting factors around that and you just you just talked about how when your health care insurance changed you had to now go to a provider that you don't know and you don't necessarily trust yet but there are many minorities that because of their income level are forced to see certain providers and don't have that freedom of choice to go to someone that they trust or, or continue to search until they are comfortable with their pr- provider.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the heart of the matter, the, the heart of the problem in American healthcare. And I keep saying American healthcare cause I've lived in the UK and experienced the NHS, which, you know, it's a, it's a single payer system there. And so, you know, you, you ac- you can access any doctor, right? You're not limited by the insurance that you have. I personally continue to believe that we will have these crazy health disparities in American healthcare until we join the rest of the industrialized world and have a single payer healthcare system. And I know it's possible you don't agree with that. It's possible many of the listeners wouldn't agree with that, and that's okay. But that's where I come from. I think to me, healthcare is an even more basic right than the right to a free K-12 education. To me, it is more fundamental. And if we have somehow way back when decided, you know, that you get a free K-12 education, yeah, you know, depending on where you live, it may not be that great, but you get it, you don't have to pay for it. Why do we look at healthcare, which you need from the day you're born, until the day you die, why is that viewed as something that has to be tied to your income and, and whatever job you have? Which, oh, by the way, your job is an impermanent status, right? You're not, you're only going to work, assuming you, you start working at, you know, I don't know, 16 years old and, and you work until you're, I don't know, 70. Like there's a lot of years that bookend that interim part where you're still going to need healthcare and you may lose your job somewhere in there right you may You may get laid off, you may get fired, you still need health care so why do, why are we tying health care to a job? it just it It only accentuates these income disparities and the problems uh in in access to care that go along with income disparities i don 't know what do you, what do you think about that
0: you no know, no disagreement from me. I absolutely agree that the fact that the people that receive the best health care is tied to the people that make the most money is absolutely sickening. Why is everyone not afforded the same level of health care? And as a healthcare care professional, I literally have devoted my career to trying to Equalize that that disparity, and it just has never made sense to me. On uh, being a child that has been a part of the Medicaid health system, healthcare system, and just not um, watching my my mother have to try to navigate the healthcare system based on insurance coverage and in her two-year-old child is suffering from asthma attacks and no one can figure out why. So it, it just, it has never made sense to me uh, because I know if my uh, mom was able to afford her own private insurance, that that probably would not have been an issue for us. So. Yeah.
1: And I I have also personally experienced that too. When I was 15, I had to have an emergency appendectomy, which was put off for a number of days. And as you know, when you have appendicitis, every hour counts, um, you, you know it can burst and you can become septic and die. And I was not taken to the doctor because my parents didn't have health insurance. And I suffered for three days. And finally, when I could no longer move or eat or drink or anything, in desperation, they took me to the doctor and I had to have emergency surgery, which they didn't have money to pay for. So granted, I understand, you know, I come from a white family, but again, these are health, these are um, income disparities, which disproportionately impact the black community. So I I do think that we have to address this problem.
0: So what would we say to the healthcare professionals that are out there, Becky, that really would like to see this change? I I like to think that majority, of the world is made up of pretty good people. And we, we have those bad apples in every single system that we will be discussing, right? And we have them in the healthcare system, yes. But to the people, to the professionals, the doctors, the nurses, the the health, the, the, the maintenance workers who are truly a big part of making a hospital go, of making a health facility go. Um, so I, I never will minimize the, the, the power and the need of our frontline workers as well in the healthcare system. So what do we say to them that could help begin to, to change what we're seeing in the healthcare system among, around these disparities?
1: Well, I think there has to be training and awareness that this is even a problem. I mean, when I worked in a health, a large healthcare system for two years, and we received all kinds of annual training i don't ever once recall having training around implicit bias and how healthcare is inherently racist do you remember ever having training like that
0: no i don't remember having any training like that at where where we previously worked and even in that becky i challenge any human resources officers that are now beginning to have these deeper conversations and starting implicit bias training, or as they like to say, unco- subconscious, unconscious bias, mm-hmm. but to, to always take it past the awareness level, right? You're introducing that there is a problem. And I, I guess I can't wrap my head around the fact that people do not know that this is a problem or are they just in denial, but you have to take it to the level two, level three, level four types of tra- training where you're actually using case scenarios and talking about different examples of behavior that now yes. needs to change. And you're going back after these trainings and you're examining what has actually changed. You're yes. behavior, measuring behavior from the beginning before the training. And now you're going back to see if there's been any results. What outcomes have actually come from these trainings? There's behaviors that need to change and not just gaining the awareness. That's step one. But now we need to get deeper.
1: I almost feel like it's like we need a 12-step program for white people, honestly. Because (laughs) like, I, I mean, you think about, like AA and their 12-step program. And isn't the first step acknowledging you have a problem? But that's just the first step. There's like 11 more steps that come. And so we have to, we have to start somewhere with, this is a problem. This is what the problem looks like. And then, you know, you need to progress through, okay, so, so now what? I mean, I think part of this, honestly, Essence, is making amends. We need to reckon with ourselves how we have been part of this problem like this is the internal work that needs to to go on after acknowledgement and and then we and people do need concrete examples. And unfortunately as we know when white people are confronted with racism they get super defensive. You know there's there's like two I'm sure there's more but there's like kind of two obvious types of racism. There's the you know, the, you know, people in white sheets and, you know, like KKK, right, who are, very, you know, white nationalists, very obvious and out there with it. And then there's this group of people who are just like, you know, Pollyanna, stick your heads in the sand. This doesn't exist. We're post-racial. We elected a black man to the White House. You know what I mean? And I think we have to, we have to get beyond that point And we have to be willing to like, stop being defensive the worst thing you can be accused of is not being racist there are worse things sit there and accept that you are racist in ways you don't even understand
0: And that's okay. It is okay. It's okay to be racist. It's okay for you to have previous racial behavior, racist behaviors. It's what are you doing now to overcome that? And just acknowledge it. Acknowledge how your past behaviors were a part of this systemic system and own it. And and know that you are not being judged for it. You will be respected for that acknowledgement and the, the, the black community, we are such a forgiving group of people. I mean, think if we go back to all those examples, Tuskegee, Marion Sims, mm. Henrietta Lex, like all the different examples that you gave and think about that, Becky, we still are here. We're still standing yeah. and we still would like to stand in solidarity with our white allies and i'm saying that speaking that from my experience of what my friends and family have shared with me that they feel but we don't want to go to war we just want peace we want you to acknowledge the things that have been done wrong to not deny that it exists and let's move on from here peacefully
1: after you and i recorded last week's podcast I could not stop thinking about one of the anecdotes I had shared with you. And to me, like the thinking about it and the, you know, the, I was beating myself up that I was honest with you because I, in my head, I'm like, Oh, Essence is going to think less of me. She's going to think I'm such a sh- crappy, you know, racist person.
0: And here I am again. having. Yeah. Conversation right by your side,
1: and I, you know, it's like I had to talk myself off that ledge because I know you, you know me, you know the kind of person I am, and I think you're right. It's okay. You you did something, you thought something, you said something that was really wrong. Now what? What are you gonna do about it? You're gonna make? Is it gonna be a teachable moment? Are you gonna dig in and say I'm not right? You know, I I, I organize a Black Lives Matter march. You know, it's not about a checklist. It's about being quiet and listening and learning and examining yourself.
0: Thank you for listening to The Heart of the Matter in Black and White. Please join us next time when we will be discussing women in the workforce and highlighting the different professional challenges of white women and women of color.